I'm excited to be back with you. If you're like, who is that dude? Uh, my name is Josh, and my wife and I moved here from California 10 years ago, officially helped start the first Mercy Road Church nine and a half years ago. And I'm excited to be back with you all after being out for a while. Uh, some of you, thank you so much for praying for me. I'm doing well. I did on Good Friday uh, come down with 104 degree fever, which obviously today we take very seriously. And it turned out I did not have COVID. Praise God. I had strep throat, um, which I had as a child. I thought this is no big deal. That was miserable, man. I'm telling you, that was worse than appendicitis that I had. But uh, a week down, and then I finally get better about 10 days ago. And then on Monday, I got an old man injury, and I thought I broke my ankle. I've been on crutches all week. Uh, turns out it's not. It's just uh, sprained really bad or also called torn ligaments. How are those things the same thing? But <laughs> apparently they are. And so I'm doing a little better. Thank you for your prayers. But uh, I was supposed to preach Easter Sunday morning. And for every Easter henceforth, I'm going to tell Rashad 24 hours ahead of time that he's preaching. <laughs> it was so cool. Uh, can I just tell you my experience? I didn't say this in the last service. It was so cool, like, attending online at the services and I, looking at the family of churches and the, the different, so many people coming to Christ. I, I think the number was over 52 people gave their life to Christ Easter weekend here at this church alone, more at Northeast. Even downtown, downtown had three people come to Christ. And then watching, you know, the message was incredible and the worship and, and the rap at the end, all that stuff. But the best part was watching 12 people just walk in their, their Easter Sunday clothes and come down here, get baptized. And then, I don't know if you could see it here, but like online, Eric Maitland, our worship leader, the tall guy up here, he was in the back and he's just weeping as people are getting, it was just, it was everything that I feel like the Lord has dreamed for the family of churches, not based on personalities or Christian celebrity or based on one worship leader or in anything. It's based on that the Spirit of God and the priesthood of all believers is very real, not just 2,000 years ago, but today. And so as there's so many incredible things happening spiritually right now in the life of our church and even more getting baptized this last week, Northeast and uh, Rooted, and it's just really cool what's happening. I, I want to tell you that this morning's message is going to be pretty intense and a little bit different. So I don't always do this, but I want you to turn really quickly, at least if you kind of know the person to your right or your left, and just tell them it's not normally like this. Could you do that real quick? It's not, 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 all, not normally like this. We are in the middle of a four-week teaching series called How It Started and How It's Growing, playing off the online meme a little bit, but talking about how to have spiritual depth this whole month is really just about discipleship. Being a disciple is methetus, it's learner, the learner of the ways of Jesus. How to not just be uh, someone that is here one day and gone the next, spiritually speaking, but seeing that faith really take root in our lives. And I'm going to kind of, like, for those of you with very short attention spans, I'm going to give you the whole sermon here in 60 seconds. You ready? 60 seconds. That too many American Christians love the idea of going to heaven and receiving faith in Christ, but never have their lives changed by what the Lord wants to do in and through them, and so they never see the impact God intended for their life. That's it. You can go home now. 
That's, that's the whole sermon. And I can't wait to dive into this passage in the parable of the sower again this week. Are you ready to study God's word together? Come on now. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. It says this in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Now, little quick caveat. We are in chapter 13 of the Gospel of Matthew. There are four Gospels that tell of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Matthew was uh, one of the disciples of Jesus, and he also was writing from a very Jewish perspective. So throughout the Gospel, Jesus is going around telling them that the kingdom of God is at hand. That yes, as a Christian, because of the work of Jesus, we'll eventually be able to go to heaven when we die, but also that God's kingdom impact, what heaven will be like, could begin to be seen here on earth. But the Gospel of Matthew doesn't use the phrase kingdom of God, it uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, because that was the Jewish understanding of that statement. As it was in heaven, it could be here on earth. And by chapter 13, a lot of people started hearing about this Messiah, the anointed one, Christ and Messiah. Christ is Greek and Messiah is Hebrew. They both mean the anointed one. And they're beginning to follow Jesus. Look at verse 2. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got in the boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Can you picture it? Then he told them many things in parables. And again, Rashad did a great job last week kicking this series off. Parables are just stories. And what I love about Jesus, he always has a good story, first of all. But second, he always speaks right to where people are, right? He didn't go in there and talk just to like high-level PhD theologians about what he was doing. He went in and told stories in an agrarian society by using farming to speak to them. So right off the bat, if you're here and you're like, dude, I could never be one of those Christians. I could never be one of those good Christians at least that actually hears from the Lord, does what he wants, and is obedient to him in his life because, I, you know, I'm just not like that, and God would never understand somebody like me. Throughout the Bible, he speaks right to the issues that they're facing, right to it. And he wants to do that with you in your life today. And if you think that's not possible, look at the New Testament. So he's going to use this farming story to speak to them, and he says in verse, uh, the second half of verse 3, he says, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Again, Rashad taught on this first. These four weeks together, we're looking at the four different soils. Last week was the path, and the birds would come and eat the seed up. By the way, in the uh, Jewish way of telling these stories, that the main character was always the, the God. In this case, it was talking about God, you know, Jesus was the sower However, what happens is because what Jesus tells us that we should be like him and go and do likewise is, as Rashad said last week, it means that for us today, once we grow in our faith, we then begin to sow the seed of the good news of Jesus to people in our lives. And in the last verse, we'll see you'll have 30, 60, or 100 fold. But that pathway that he talked about, that the enemy represented by the birds here wants to steal the work that God wants to do in your life. And that the path is where they would have trampled on the ground. It would have gotten hardened and people have trampled over in your life. And so you're missing out on what the Lord wants to do. But this week, the next part of the parable, this next soil is verse five. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. 
that some of the, the seed, the good news of Jesus, fell into the soil of our lives, and it began to take root, but because of the rocky part of our soil, it could never really grow in depth. That we loved the idea of Jesus and the gospel, but it never really changed or transformed or took root in our lives because of the, the shallow soil. In fact, verse 7 then, we'll get to this in the coming weeks, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Kind of the main point this morning is that as a follower of Jesus, we got to stop the consumeristic American version of the understanding of the good news of Jesus, where we are elated with joy of salvation, but we never let it take root. And over time, we become jaded like the rest of the world. The big thing, don't go from elated to jaded, spiritually speaking. Let's pray together. God, man, I thank you for all these people. It's incredible. I think of what you have done over the last nine and a half years. And what in this season, as we're singing that song about the springtime and the growth that's occurring, in this season, the life of your church, this fresh spiritual anointing on so many people that is impacting lives. And there are people here today in this room or attending online who have spiritual questions, who are struggling, who are far from you, some who wouldn't consider themselves Christians, God. You love every human being you created just as much as the next. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that your love would be experienced. It would take root and hold and grow in our lives this morning. For those of us who have been Christians for decades, God, that if we have been plateauing spiritually in our faith, and over the last year it's been an opportunity to put our faith and the mission of you, Jesus, on hold, God, may we be convicted this morning. May it change our way of thinking. May we become again like the early Christians, willing to sacrifice anything for your purposes. We love you, Jesus. We acknowledge you in our families, in the lives of our children and grandchildren. Use us this morning, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Man, can I tell you about one of the really fun seasons of my life? I put this in the e-newsletter. If you do not receive that, all you have to do to get it is just fill out a connect card, put your email on it, and we will add you to the e-newsletter. But uh, when I was in the seventh grade, my seventh grade basketball team, not only did I make the team, I, I, we actually won the small county tournament in the little county that I grew up in, in Indiana. Thank you, one woo. That's great. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, that that season was very memorable in my life because it was, we didn't have really teams before seventh grade. We played a couple AAU games, but I, I, we had made the team and we won the county tournament. We actually got a parade into town on the school bus. The police came out, led us into town. All 12 people were cheering for us. It was amazing. And that same season, a few games earlier, we had played a rival. And actually in that particular game, I had my best game of my seventh grade season. And I was the leading scorer on both teams. I had seven points. <laughs> so he came up to me after the last service like, dude, I'd have taken seven. I never scored a point in my life. I'd take it. Here's the best part. Not only did I lead the teams with seven points. This is a true story. The local newspaper ran a story, not just on the seventh grade basketball game, but the title of the sports page said, Hoosman leads team to victory. 
It was awesome. It was incredible. And man, I just thought I was the Lord's gift to basketball, right? I was the next Michael Jordan. That day, the shack was huge. I was like, I'm on a short shack, you know, five foot nothing, hundred nothing, but I could pack. So what ended up happening was I was very excited for basketball. I got really into basketball and seventh grade was the pinnacle of my basketball career. <laughs> Turns out I'm not a tall man. Although I will make jokes about Eric Maitland's height because he is an inch shorter than me for the rest of my life. And I share that with you because, you know, my basketball career was a bit of a flash in the pan. It was here one day. I got really excited about it. It was kind of gone the next. Wasn't a whole lot there. I see so many people, spiritually speaking, that want to have impact with their life, to have purpose here in the short time we have on the planet. And their faith is kind of like a flash in the pan. They receive Christ with joy, and it's here one day, and it's gone the next. Don't let that be the way that we live as Christians today in our culture and society. I believe that we could live differently. I believe that you were created for more. You may not see it yet. You may think your life is not that important. Do you realize in verse 9 of uh, Matthew 13 there, it talked about that you will have a, a yield of either 30, 60, or 100 fold. Now, some of you spiritually speaking, I want that hundred, man. Give me the hundred. But let me tell you, you may not be Billy Graham, but whether you're the 30, the 60, or the hundred fold, all of those are a huge bumper yield. I know every single stockbroker in the room would take a 30 fold yield. So when the farmer sows his seed lavishly, he knows it's because if one seed takes root, the kingdom impact could be huge. But for too many of us, the shallow soil of our lives, it never really takes root and gets in depth and grows our faith enough. And that's what I want to talk about. Don't underestimate what the Lord wants to do in and through your life. You, all you can see today is your addictive habit or the troubles in your relationship or the poor choices of your past or the things that you have been done to you, as Rashad talked about last week. You, all you can see is these things. God sees that he created you, that he loved you, that his son gave his life for you, that you could be redeemed and made new. Second Corinthians 5.17, my favorite verse in all of the Bible that we're going to look at to the very end, that you are meant to be a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come that you could actually see that happen. And when you become that new creation, it, it means that you will have this huge yield for the kingdom impact you could have with your life. So if you want that, I want you to ask yourself three spiritual questions that every disciple of Jesus should ask themselves this morning. Three questions for every disciple. And the first question is this. Has your faith taken root? Like, well, how do you know if your faith has taken root? Well, it means that things that, if you hadn't known Jesus, you would never have changed in your life. I mean, we got those things, right? If you hadn't known Jesus, you would have never changed them in your life. If you actually begin to change those things in your life, it means that the Lord is taking hold and taking root and transforming you into the new creation he created you to be. But if your life looks exactly the way it did before you came to Christ, there may be some things impeding your spiritual growth that need to be removed so that your faith could really take root. I'm not telling you whether you have salvation or not. I'm saying you will never see the yield that God would want in your life if your faith doesn't really take root. Look at verse 18 to 21a. Jesus defines it for us. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
When anyone hears this message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away, the devil snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. We looked at that last week. This week, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. I want to tell you guys, after uh, nine and a half years of being a part of this church, of seven years of being a part of a large church in Southern California and seeing a lot of people come to Christ and discipled, we have seen that God is still living and active and does things that we read about in the New Testament. It's not just 2,000 years ago, it's today. But I want to tell you, one of the hardest parts about being a part of any local church is seeing people that genuinely were excited and elated to know the Lord. But six months later, a year later, a year and a half later, go right back to the life they had previously. Only now they are more overwhelmed, defeated, jaded, and will never be open to the things of God again. Because the, when things got hard, the faith didn't take root in a way that they were willing to follow at all costs. That's the hard part of it. And my biggest fear, I told you I'm going to be real this morning and very blunt. My biggest fear is that most American Christians, had we been living 2,000 years ago, would have renounced our faith in Jesus and never had the kingdom impact we were created to have. Because the type of persecution that we read about in the first 200 years of the early church is nothing like today. And I'm going to discuss that. I think that as Christians, we have to receive the love of Christ and actually let it take root. And so if it's not taking root in your life and you're doing the cyclical thing where you pray to receive Christ and then six months later, you go right back to the way that you were, I believe this morning it's time to take a stand. Say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I got to change something because that way is not working. And I want to encourage you, uh, one easy way, I think it's super ironic, it's all about being rooted in your faith, uh, This week is the last week you can sign up for Rooted, which is a 10-week initial discipleship experience where you're in a group talking about these things in community. You can fill out the Rooted form at the Rooted table this morning. Fill out a Connect card, write Rooted at the top. We will get you into a group this week. Meets on Wednesday nights. There's also an additional group meeting another night of the week. Some of you have already been through Rooted. Many hundreds of you have already been through Rooted. And you need to get into a discipleship huddle. Those are one to three years long. We work out, it's do the hard work to work out the junk in our life to become the person God created us to be. And then some of you, you need to go live on mission through an outpost. And there are various versions of that, but you need the community, that long-term family that our outpost network represents. Somewhat similar to small groups, but they are outward focused, making impact. What we're trying to do is rather than just producing programs, because Jesus didn't say, go therefore and make programs of all nations, did he? He said, go therefore and make disciples, which is learners of the ways of Jesus, of all nations, that we could actually learn from God and hear from him in our life. And so for us, we want you to get into rooted, and that's where we want to produce Christians, followers of Jesus. That's why a lot of people get baptized at the end of it, as you study the Christian worldview. And then huddles for us, or we're, we're producing spiritual leaders to go make a kingdom impact. Think Jesus and the disciples and the Gospels. And then our outpost network, think Acts 2 and the uh, house church, microchurch model of being scattered throughout the city to make impact 
that, that we're trying to produce missionaries with our outposts. And so whatever season of life you're in, to get connected in community, to live that out is part of taking a root in your faith so that God could grow you, not just in your past, but in the future. I could go all day on that one, but I'm going to go to the second question. Second question is this. Do you fall away from your faith when things get hard? I have been doing this long enough that I've seen my friends, people that I know have a desire to follow Jesus in their life. But when things don't go their way, when the outcome that they were desiring doesn't occur, they begin to throw in the towel and become disillusioned with what the Lord is doing in their life. And they take years, not, they may not have lost their salvation, but they take years of just avoiding what God wants to do. And maybe that's many of us here this morning, if we're being honest, it, wouldn't, it would be the case of most churches in American culture today, unfortunately. And I share that harsh reality with you because I believe that we could live differently. We have to acknowledge some of the dangers that are out there. I, you don't have to agree with this, but I believe one of the greatest dangers to the American church is the health and wealth version of the good news of Jesus. You say, what is that? This idea that if you receive Christ into your life, that everything is going to go good for you. That you will always be healthy, you will always be wealthy, everything will be everything you dreamed for your life. Now hear me, I believe God wants us to dream big for his kingdom. I believe in the power of healing. James chapter 5 challenges us to lay hands and pray for physical healing, and we will do that for you this morning and anoint you with oil. We have seen the Lord do incredible works. I believe he still does things today that he did 2,000 years ago. But can I also tell you that in the entire history of humankind, biblically speaking, there are only two people that their bodies never failed them. Enoch and Elijah got carried off. Everyone else, eventually their bodies failed them. Say, well, then why do you pray for healing? Well, the Lord tells us to. He's a good God. He, he wants to bring good things to us. He wants to, to heal us. But sometimes he doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want and desire. And so that question, do you fall away from your faith when things get hard? Look what he says in the second half of verse 21 here in Matthew 13. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. When trouble happens, when things don't go their way, they quickly fall away. Do you realize that in the early church, when, when somebody, when Jesus says this about being persecuted and they quickly fall away, by 70 AD, not long after he said this, Emperor Nero will burn the temple in Jerusalem to the ground and Christians will begin to be persecuted and put into jail simply for their faith. Like, yeah, but it probably got better. No, second century got worse. Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome, actually would have Christians not only persecuted, but would execute them. He would have them burned at the stake. They would take the ashes, go to the local river, throw the ashes into the river, watch it dissipate, and then mock the Christians saying, how is your Lord going to resurrect your body now? Most of us American Christians, if the bathroom wasn't nice enough or the coffee wasn't hot enough, we're not going back there. So I just want to tell you that if we want to live in a culture that is hardly the type of persecution that they experienced 2,000 years ago, if we're going to live in a way that honors the Lord and, and be obedient and not fall away and wither and die in our faith, spiritually speaking, when things don't go our way, we're going to have to take root that we don't worship God for an outcome. We worship God because he's God. Now, 
I'm going to get real for just a second. Uh, one of my favorite passages, chapters of scripture, Hebrews 11, hall of faith, amazing men and women of God. You get the, the great heroes of the faith, right? You get Abraham. He's going to sacrifice his only son in order to honor the Lord. And the Lord says, no, here's a ram. You don't have to do that. Good thing saves Isaac's life. Noah, right? The whole flood occurs, but the, the boat is prepared and they survive and there's a rainbow and then they're gonna, humanity's going to continue on. Good things happen, right? And that's what happens a lot of times in our faith. We, we pray and we receive and the, and the good things that we desire occur in our lives. But did you ever read the end of Hebrews 11? This is the same hall of faith that described those great heroes of the faith. Look at verse 35 with me in Hebrews 11. It says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They lost their lives in horrific ways. They lived destitute, hiding in caves. The same hall of faith in Hebrews 11 puts Abraham and the great heroes that saw these incredible works happen right beside people who lost their lives on account of their faith. We don't get to choose the outcome. We just get to choose to worship. You know, I I use this analogy sometimes because our story, many of you know it. Uh, My son, Jackson, who we lost when we moved here from California, when we got here, we found out at 15 weeks old he had a genetic disorder and he wasn't supposed to make it full term. And we began to openly ask people for prayer. And this incredible thing happened. He made it full term and was born. And then the doctors told us he would die within the hour. And he made it. And he began to improve. And he was alive a week later. And they said, you might be able to even take him home. And we had seen God do these minor miracles that we didn't think were possible. But then a week in, as he began to have additional breathing problems, he began to worsen. And he died at two weeks old. And I remember going, God, why did you have all these answered prayers, all the stuff that wasn't supposed to happen only lead to this outcome? And I was mad at God. And I can remember praying in that moment. And and the Lord was like, did I tell you to worship me when I answer your prayers the way that you want or just to worship me because I'm God? And you may say, that's not right. No. Do you know what happened next? He reminded me of the story of John the Baptist. You go back and read John the Baptist. We love John the Baptist because he's like a hippie. He's out there eating honey and locusts and living off the land. But you ever read the end of the story? (laughs) Right? He paved the way for all Jesus' ministry. How is he rewarded for that? All that sacrifice and hard work. He has his head, well, he's put into prison, has his head chopped off by a pretentious woman and served to her on a silver platter at a party. Not all Christians receive their reward this side of heaven. That's why in Revelation, it talks about the martyrs of the faith and the acknowledgement there will be eternally for that. We don't worship God for an outcome. We worship him because he's God. Because otherwise, when things get harder, we are persecuted, our faith will wither and die and fall away. I use the analogy of, uh, I used to live in Southern California and I took a group of young adults up to the mountains. They have mountains and snow there, believe it or not. And we decided to go sledding down this mountain. 
And I was young back then, and I wanted to impress people because I'm a dumb male. And so I took the, the sled, and it was one of those foam ones that's really slick and lightweight that can go really fast, right, and had the handles. And, like, I took off running as fast as I could, and I jumped, and I did, like, Superman-style ride down the mountain. And I, dude, I'm telling you, I was flying down that thing. I was going so fast. I don't know how fast I was going for our purposes. We'll just say a million miles an hour. That's how fast I was going down the mountain. And all of a sudden, I look up as I'm getting to the bottom of the mountain, and there's a four-foot concrete wall right in front of me. And I'm unable to bail out because I was so impressed by my own skills going down the mountain, I didn't have time, and hit it head on, hit the wall, went flying into the concrete ravine, hit my head. And when I woke up, I was a little bit embarrassed and a little bit of pain. Praise God, no permanent issues or damage. But everyone else, as I'm laying there in that ravine, I'm just going, why, God, did you let this happen to me? Everyone else who came down, saw the wall, were able to avoid it, and no one else ever got hurt. It's like, why me? Why did I have this? Look, spiritually speaking, when you join with what the Lord is doing, you've heard it like a freight train or other things. You don't tell him what to do. You just jump on board. And sometimes that means in our faith, we go flying down the mountain and we don't always know spiritually or physically what is going to happen when we get down there. Our job is faithfulness, not the outcome. And some of us, we hit that wall and we wake up going, where are you, Lord? And then for those that miss the wall, we think, oh, the Lord was with us, but they weren't with them. No, he was with both of us. And we have a choice of how we respond to the situation we find ourselves in in life. That some were persecuted and mistreated, and it was actually a testament to their faith. James says it this way in verse uh, 2 of chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why would that be joyful? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Skip down to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. By the way, that crown of life, the eternal life that is promised to us, enduring the trials and persecution and persevering in this life, it's the same thing that the disciple John writes about in his revelation that was a letter to seven churches, and it was a real prophetic revelation about the returning of Jesus. But in chapters 2 and 3, he addresses these seven churches. And each of the seven churches, it's also a discipleship letter, and he tells them, to the one who overcomes, or to the one who is victorious, your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you will receive eternal salvation if you are faithful and stick with it, and you let that faith take root in you. So that when things get hard, you don't just throw in the towel. Because in the time John was writing in the 90s AD, great persecution had broken out against the early Christians. That today, we could have the Spirit of God in our life. And whether it is good or bad, we could, in faith, allow God to use every aspect of our life. That's the way you see the 30, the 60, and the 100-fold. We often talk about our son today. We wish he would have survived. We would have given anything for him to physically been completely healed. But that wasn't God's story for our particular son. And I don't think he is in heaven a little earlier than some of us upset that more people got reached for Christ through the story of his son. We saw hundreds of people around the country come to Christ through my wife's blog, through me going around and preaching at that time, come to Christ through this horrific thing that we endured. That's why it says to be thankful and happy that in those moments, God can use it. By the way, if a farmer has rocks in the soil where they're trying to farm, what do they do? 
Do they just go and plant seeds on top of the rocks? That's not going to grow anything. They have to remove the stones. You know what they do with the stones too, by the way, after they remove these boulders? I don't know if you know this. They sell them to landscaping companies. So this thing that was a big problem for them is actually a moneymaker as well. And I believe that when we surrender even the hard things of life to the Lord, that he could utilize those in great ways. And it's all part of that 30, 60, and 100-fold yield that the Lord wants to do in your life. But we have to acknowledge the rocky soil. The third, the final question is this. Is your soil shallow? Is your faith in a way that your life is not made for it to become deeply rooted because there are rocks embedded in your life that are preventing the Lord from taking real depth? I don't know whether you have salvation or not. I'm talking about that there are problems, addictive habits, things in your relationships, sin issues that you don't want to acknowledge or we don't want to acknowledge that actually we will never see the great work the Lord wants to do because we won't get the rocks and the stones out of there. Look what it says here in verse 5 again. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. The farmers have to remove that so they can till the ground so that the seed could take root. This is the painful process of going from shallow to fertile soil. The painful process of allowing those rocks that we have to acknowledge are present there to allow them to be removed so that our faith could really take root. I love Hebrews 12 and 28 here. These two verses, verse 11, this is not talking about this parable in faith. It's talking about real farming. And it says, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. In 28, uh, 19, it says it this way. Those who work their land have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. If we apply that farming analogy again to us spiritually speaking, that if you don't allow the land to be worked, the soil to be worked in your life, to remove the rocks and till the soil, you will live in spiritual poverty for the rest of your existence on this planet. And we'll never see the good work, the new creation he designed you to be. Some of us, many of us, all of us today need to remove some of these stones in our life. And I brought this up here just so that you could visualize it with this this morning, that sometimes there are different types of rocks or stones in our life. Problems that are keeping us from growing in our faith. And maybe they're things that, you know, it's a nuisance, it's kind of heavy, but... I can easily pick this up, even though I'm injured a little bit this morning. I can still hold this. And maybe it was uh, as simple as addressing the issue by, by uh, actually getting some covenant eyes on your computer. And that was all you, you needed to do. Or when I first came to faith in Jesus, I stopped drinking alcohol uh, until I was much older. And that was something that for me as a young man, it actually wasn't that difficult. For those who have struggled for decades, maybe it's much harder. Maybe it was a bigger rock. But for me, I could remove that. But then there are other things in your life that, that maybe it's a little more painful to pick it up and you're a little spiritually injured some and like to hold this thing, it's some work, man. You don't want to do that. You don't want to have to dig down in there and remove this from the soil of your life because it hurts. You have to acknowledge the way that you have behaved and the problems that you have created and seen in your life. But then there are some of us, many of us, that we all eventually have that one stone or rock that if we're real honest, and I know you can't see this online, it's on the floor here, that you've tried so much and it's just large enough and you're a little injured. It's just large enough. You can't quite remove it on your own. And you've been sitting there for decades trying to get rid of this thing. 
and it keeps rearing its ugly head again over and over again. And the Lord wants to take root in your life and it can't happen because the rocky soil won't allow it. You've got this issue and you don't know how to get rid of it and you get overwhelmed. See, we think that we have an obedience problem. If we just simply began to behave differently, we could solve our issues. The Bible doesn't say that. The the Bible says that we don't have an obedience problem. We have an identity problem because if we really knew Jesus and the spirit of God is in our life, 2 Timothy 1, 7 says he does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline to overcome the issues that we are facing in our life. Not just that. It's not just God is in your corner. The Bible teaches us you weren't meant to live your faith out alone, that you have community from other believers who also have the spirit of God with unique spiritual gifts, fulfilling the fivefold ministry that when we come together, you only see the full matured nature of Jesus. When the church comes together, isolated Christianity does not work. And that if we get together, we are honest about it and God is empowering us. We could actually pick this thing up and allow it to be removed from our life. So God could start having that 30, 60, a hundredfold yield. But you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to dig into the rock and complaining about it and blaming people rather than going, God, I need you. I need people. I need to get into rooted. I need to get in the huddle. I need to live on community in an outpost. Use me. Transform me. I don't want to do this anymore. You got to take a stand because you're going to spend the rest of your life doing exactly what you've been doing. I've seen it for decades. You, you got to take a stand. I know I'm intense, and and for the young people in the room, I needed this. When I was 19 years old, I was so far from God, and somebody was brave enough to speak into my life and say some things were not right. And because they did that, it transformed my way of thinking, which opened me up to Jesus. I didn't just think anymore that I just needed to get a a better job to be happy or nice things to be happy. I didn't just think that he wanted to, to heal me or to stop addictive habits in my life. I learned that he wanted to stop me turning to false idols of addiction at any point because his love for me was so great. He wanted to change my character qualities from the inside out, not just change one behavior pattern. That's removing the rocky soil in your life so that God could grow deep in you. Will you pray with me, Lord? I just know that there are many of us today that we, we will not see the kingdom impact until we allow you and others into our life to remove the rocks and the stones that are keeping us from seeing you grow to fruition in the way that you tell us to be, to become that new creation, that the old could be gone, the new could come. And so we acknowledge that here right now. And all of us together, you know you got some stone in your life, some rock in your life right now that you need to repent of, to draw near to the perfect Lord. He tells us because of his atoning sacrifice on the cross, because of his resurrection from the grave, you could be forgiven, have eternal life, and experience the spirit of God in a healing manner right now. So let's do that. Let's repent of it, invite him in and talk to others and bring community in. Whatever that is right now, just he already knows it. He knows your thoughts. Just admit it to him, just in the silence of this moment, repent of what it is that's keeping you from growing in your faith. God, I I repent. As I've gotten older, there's still some things of pride and arrogance and things in my life that have been there for decades. I beg for your help. As I continue to talk to the community in my life, may they help me become the person you created me to be. God, for those in the room that need a prayer this morning, that need to take that next step of faith and begin to allow you to transform their life, we admit that now we beg you for your help. We worship you. We acknowledge the presence of your spirit in our lives. Transform us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody together said, amen, amen.